Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Nikki Krasik with me from Massachusetts. And Nikki, I'm like all nervous about saying the word Massachusetts even more than I am saying your name. (laughs) I think, did I say it right? You did. There are a lot of syllables in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's not an easy one. (laughs) So Nikki is a copywriter, and uh, you do a lot of things. So I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away and just let everyone know what you do Uh, how long you've been working from home and a little bit about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. um, I am a copywriter. I've been a copywriter for more than 15 years, getting real close to 20. Um, The countdown is on. Uh, And I have worked for multi-billion dollar companies, solopreneurs, just about every size business in between. Um, And we can get into exactly what copywriting is in just a second. But um, I also have a company that teaches people to become professional copywriters. So I have kind of the the freelancer side because I definitely still take copywriting clients, though not quite as often as I used to. And then I also have the the teaching and the coaching side, which is frankly a really fun balance. And yeah, I I work from home now and have for actually a very long time. Throughout my career, I've kind of bounced between. I've always been freelance, but sometimes it's been part time freelance while I've been uh, while I've had uh, a full time job, and then um, yeah, kind of bounced around. But the home office is a place I'm very familiar with. Yes. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into copywriting. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So um, for people who don't know, and there probably are a lot of people who don't know, it's a strangely um, a hidden career kind of, uh, even though it's been around for, for a very long time. Um, but copywriting is marketing and advertising writing. It's writing that's designed to to sell or to persuade. It's about... Um, it's about taking you know, a target audience who has a want or a need and connecting them with the company or the organization that has the best solution for that want or that need and connecting them with words that resonate with that target audience and make them go, oh, yes, ah, this is it. This is the solution. This is what I want. Um, so that's what copywriters do. And that's you know, websites and email and banner ads and, and direct mail and you know, newspaper ads, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the way like blogging, like for a brand, does that come into it? Great question. That's, uh, that's slightly different. So that is content writing, content writing, your average blog posts, things like that. Um, also, you know, newspaper articles, um, those are designed to educate, to entertain or to inspire. So those have a slightly different purpose to them. Yeah. So there's copywriters will sometimes take, uh, take on content projects for their clients. Um, but for, for copywriting, it's a really specific set of set of skills mm-hmm. and, um, there's a real element of training that goes into it and honing those skills. All right. And you, yeah. I think you were going to oh, yes, keep going. I, went, so. I know, right. I was, <laughs> um, I forgot to actually answer the question that you asked me. Um, <laughs> The, yes, the way I got into copywriting was actually um, when I was in high school, my dad was uh, a marketing director at the time. He's retired since, but um, he would bring home extra writing projects for me to do and then would, you know, give me feedback and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of had that, that, um, that strategic element in, um, not in me, but I, it it was honed a bit. Uh, And then went to college for PR, discovered I really didn't like PR. It's fabulous for some people, just not right for me. Um, Worked at a health club for a while, like did events and, you know, um, and, but nothing was really, 
nothing was right. You know how you, you, you will sometimes just have that feeling of like, I'm not using my skills the way I want to be using them or my talents. I'm just not. And, um, it was my mom actually, who sent me a book. Um, and this was, I mean, this was like the very beginning of Amazon. So she went to the bookstore, got a book, put it in the mail, um, (laughs) sent me a book. And I think the book was called something like I don't know, like the six figure writer, something like that. And the book itself was not overly useful. It said stuff like you need a fax machine for your home office and da, 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 da. Um, But what the book did do was remind me about copywriting and made me go, oh yes, I, I forgot. (laughs) I forgot about this whole industry. I can do this. Uh, So I dug in, started, you know, looking for clients, finding clients, doing work, making a lot of mistakes and, but that's, you know, how you, how you grow a career. And then, yeah. And then, you know, about a a decade ago, I thought, wow, I would really, this, first of all, this is a great career that more people should know about. And wow, wouldn't it be really nice if there was a course out there that could help me not, that could have helped me not make mistakes and can help people avoid the mistakes that I Mm -hmm. made. Mm-hmm. What kind of mistakes are you referring to? Oh, you know, just like um, not not knowing the right time to send your quote through, you know, trying to give your quote on the call when there's way too much pressure and you don't even need to when it, when you can just say um, you could say, all right, this is this was a great call. Thanks so much. I'm going to take a look at my notes. I'm going to go through everything and I'm going to go and I'll make sure and send you the quote by five o'clock today. How does that sound for you? It's a totally different game because then there's no pressure on you on the call, but, you know, all kinds of stuff that, you know, someone who's new to it just doesn't know better. And how could they? Uh, but there are a lot of things that, that we do to ourselves that make our jobs so much more difficult when there's an easier and a smarter way to do it. So I've kind of put all of that in the course. Did your background in PR, public relations, help you at all as you uh, came back to the copywriting well, that's a great question. Um, you know, as I do include uh, in our course, we do have a section about how to write uh, press releases as in terms of writing press releases and, and um, copywriting can be somewhat similar. Some of the skills transfer. Um, and so I suppose there's, there is some overlap in terms of, of coming up with a message that's going to resonate with the person you're sending that message to. In PR, you're trying to come up with a message that is going to to catch the attention of, you know, the editor or the writer or whatever, and also then be interesting for their audience. Um, and so knowing that and understanding that does does transfer into into copywriting because there's a lot of that about thinking in terms of your the target audience. Who are you writing to? What do they need to know? What would they most like to hear? I bet your dad was a happy man when you were like, yeah, I think I'm going to give copywriting a chance again. Yeah, it's pretty cute. It's actually, you know, my dad, um, my dad was in marketing and wrote a lot of copy himself. And my mom was an interior decorator, but my mom was also had her own business for a long time. So she was working for herself. So I really kind of got the the best of both worlds. I got the the marketing background and then I got the the I think for, for a lot of people who think about, oh, working on their own or freelancing, or it can be a lot of scary, it, a lot of scary, it can be kind of scary or a little bit intimidating if you don't have a, a role model or at least someone you've seen that has done it before successfully. So I was very fortunate to have that in my mom. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about what working from home has helped you do or why you like working from home. Why are you not sitting in some office doing this for a company? Um, well, you know, part of that is because uh, I do so much work. I, I so much work is my my company teaching people to write copy. Um, because I have my own company, that means working from home. Um, but even before that was a big focus, you know, maybe more five years ago, and I was focused more on writing copy than than on the the course. Um, you know, it's there's there's just a freedom to working from home or in the thing is too, is it's working from home, but it's also working from wherever you want to work. You know, there were a couple years when, um, the, the guy I was dating at the time, he also had a similar kind of career and we would just go travel for a couple of months. And we could do that because we would be in, you know, I remember being in Florence and we'd spend the morning working and then we'd go out and spend the afternoon exploring. It was fantastic. Um, and you, you don't have that same kind of freedom when you're stuck in an office or when you have to request time off, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've earned this time off, but I still have to request it from someone. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, which is not to say that, I mean, you know, there are a lot of distract. It's, it's not nearly as easy to work from home as I think people who work in an office think it is. And probably a lot of people have discovered that, uh, in 2020 when, um, if people were lucky enough to keep their jobs, yeah. uh, they ended up working from home for their jobs. It's, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of, it's, it's hard to live and work in the same space. Even if you have a dedicated office space, mm -hmm. it's still psychically a little bit diff difficult. I think it, it requires um, a different level of focus. You know, when you're in an office, if you're messing around on Facebook or messing around, you know, there, anybody could be walking behind you at any moment. It kind of keeps you <laughs> keeps you a little bit more focused. Exactly. keeps you accountable. Uh, whereas at home, the only person who's going to notice if you are messing around on Facebook is you when you look up and you go, oh my God, it was a half hour of wasted time, you know? Right. Well, I think it, a lot of it has to do with personality and also your workflow or your work type. Um, mm -hmm. I think some people that are, some people find that they're more distracted in the office and, they, and they're able to focus mm -hmm. better at home. It just depends on what, what do you have happening at home? Do you have a dog? Do you have, you know, other people who are, you know, going to be demanding your attention or not? Mm -hmm. uh, are you living alone? I do live alone. I have not married, no kids. So I think uh, I definitely am a bit, um, I have it a little easier, I think, than a lot of people who have to work at home. I have so many friends. Um, who, actually, my friend is a, a creative director from a major fashion company and working home from working from home during COVID was obviously a challenge for everyone. When she has two little girls, I mean, they're not technically my nieces, but I call them my nieces. And, you know, she was on the phone or on a, a Zoom call with very important people within the company, and both of them walk in completely naked behind their four and two. So, you know, it's not like they're in their teens, but four and two, they walk in completely naked. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the magic of, of real life and Zoom calls and trying to be a, a professional while there are tiny people in the house. So luckily I do not have, uh, I don't have that kind of, that level Freakers. of challenge. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although I will say I was on a, a trip for, for her mother, for her, um, for, with her and her girls and was trying to get a call and was like, okay, all I need is just, just keep the girls out for just a half hour, just a half hour. And of course, 20 minutes in, knock, knock, knock. 
Auntie Nini, well, mm-hmm. uh, okay, just come here, just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I have um, three kids and the youngest is five. And I have learned to just position myself so that I can always like, it's happened. I've had, you know, a kid come in in the middle of even an interview like this. And I, I have a signal. I'm like, if you see me, put my hand out like this. It means I love you very much, but I'm not available to talk yes. right now. And you can just stay there patiently or come back when I'm done. Yeah. So um, we, I have just learned that that's one, because I've seen, I mean, we've all seen that footage of that man who was like a news anchor or something who was like a correspondent, I guess. Um, and his kids come running and his wife comes running in to come grab his. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like that was a lesson that I learned like before I set up my camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although I think though that, that I think that that's given us all a little bit of grace, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, I think um, not that it's a male and female thing, but I think it was a good thing that it was a man whose kids were coming into the camera because mm-hmm. it's, it's not just women who have children around and have yeah. to be aware of that presence. It's when you're working from home, there's always, <laughs> for better or for worse, there's always the chance that tiny people, mm-hmm. tiny animals yeah. will, will come into view. Do you have any fur babies? I do not. Okay. So actually there's very little chance that at my house, tiny people, or (laughs) in fact, if they do let me know, because there's someone here that should not be here. Um, but, (laughs) but for many of us, yeah, like keep an eye on the background. Um, but for many of us, you know, and it's even just like when, uh, you're on a zoom call and the doorbell rings, I mean, nobody ever comes to my door, but if they do, it's going to be on a zoom call when I'm trying to record. Of course it would be. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so talk about your home office setup. Do you have a dedicated room? You mentioned that earlier. I do. I do. I didn't used to. Um, I moved actually six or seven months ago. Um, moved. I was closer to Boston and then I moved a bit north to get a little bit more space. And it has been wonderful to actually have an office because before it was, I had a little, I wouldn't call it a walk-in closet. I would just call it a nook. And I kind of converted that into an office. And mm-hmm. But as often as not, I would work on my sofa and you know, kind of bounce around from place to place in that tiny little apartment. But, um, but yes, now I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, it's glorious to have an actual office. I'm assuming when you went to look for a new housing, that that's one thing that you were considering. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it would have, it would just would have to have an office. Cause I mean, I do, I do all of my work from home and I'm fortunate enough to have been able to get a place that had that, this dedicated office. I think that's one of the differences between the people who have been forced to work from home, you know, throughout the pandemic, but it's a temporary thing and they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to make do with whatever they have with ever space. I actually do work from home on purpose, but I am still in a closet, but that's partly because I, um, I do a lot of video work and, um, in the middle of the night, even I, I wake up early because that's when we've, we've been able to avoid having to have like a lot of, um, extended childcare or nanny. Cause I, if I, if I work in the night, then I'm available more during the day and then I just sleep whenever I can. But the, the closet has given me a little bit more of a sound barrier for my three children. And, yeah. um, you know, my husband and the cat, you know, all make their own noises, I guess, but, um, this is just kind of nice for, for this line of work that I'm in. Yeah, um, absolutely. But for those of us that have decided to, uh, to work from home intentionally, uh, I think, you know, there's a little bit more, you know, you have to put a little bit more thought into about where you're going to work long-term. Like this isn't just for six months. This is for Mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. And if at all possible, you need that dedicated space because too, it really, so many of us end up having to be on calls or record things where our voice matters. When I go and record a course, I go sit in my, in my closet. 
Mm-hmm. I have this office, but there's so much of an echo that I have to go sit in the closet. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the first person to say that too. Like the clothing, even like I've taken the clothing out, but I have so many other things in here that it still, you know, fills the, the space. I do have clothing and, and like a stuffed animal here and there and like a chair and enough stuff that I don't think I have much of an echo. Yeah. Um, but so you, re- you record in the closet is it a video or is it just audio? No, so I do. <laughs> yeah, the video I do out, he- out here and then it's just, oops, sorry with the, but yeah, with the audio only when it's a voiceover for an actual oh, like, right. course piece. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'll be in there. It's still a little echoey, but um, but it'll do. Do you do more like the loom style where you're doing like a screen share and then you're just audio speaking over that? For the actual course videos, generally, I don't even do the loom picture in, uh, mm-hmm. I will do just, yeah, exactly. Like a screen share of a presentation kind of go through mm-hmm. the points that way. Yeah. And do you do, um, what would you say the, the breakdown is like between the camera facing versus the screen share? Is that like a 50, 50? Um, on a, probably in totality of what I record, it might be more like 50, 50. The, the course itself is, uh, the courses that we have a couple of courses now, um, one for copywriters and one for um, people who just want to freelance in any capacity. Um, that's more, that is more voiceover. Um, I find, find it's a little bit less distracting if people can focus on words instead of someone's face. Um, but you know, throughout the day we do Instagram lives, we do Facebook lives with our students. We do zoom calls with our students. We do, you know, there's a lot of interaction. So, and that I'm usually out here for. Before we dive into a little bit about uh, your opinion about freelancing and, and how people do that. Cause I know that's something that you feel strongly about. Um, can you just break down the difference one more time between you already said a little bit, copy editing, copywriting, and then I'm sure there's a few other things that, that are nuanced in there that are close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So copy editing and copywriting, it's it's funny. It's It sounds like they should be very closely connected because they both start with copy. They're very, very different. Copywriting is that, that, um, that editing and marketing writing. Copy editing is actually going in and it's really more editing content than anything else. It's, it's going in and, and um, very, it, it's actually a very skilled field. If you ever take a copy mm-hmm. editing test, they are hard. You know, it's, it's going by a very specific manual of style and all that kind of thing, but going in and, and making stylistic changes, grammar changes, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Punctuation changes. Uh, and I think that's probably even oversimplifying it. it is, copy editing is a tough field. More related to proof proofing or proof editing. It's proofing. yes, exactly. It's proofreading. Um, proofreading is kind of copy editing light, you know, okay. proofreading as you go and you look for typos and, and copy editing is like digging in and really making changes. And it's, it's really, if anybody is, is curious, the, I think the New York times has like a copy editing test. There are a couple online that'd be like, well, I know, I know grammar. I know you take it. It's <laughs> it <is> hard, <laughs> really hard. Works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about, okay. So I was, uh, when I found out that my job with Mayo Clinic that I had had for 17 years was, was probably going to come to an end. I had Mm -hmm. a feeling I I saw the writing on the wall. Um, but I ended up switching gears and I started teaching English online, but in the meantime, like just kind of to keep my, I don't know, I started doing some work on Upwork, which Mm -hmm. was fun. I did ghostwriting. Um, so I guess that would have been more content writing, Mm -hmm. but why don't you talk about why you don't recommend people go to that? No, no. See, you know, I, the thing is about sites like Upwork or Freelancer and it, it, 
I'm not going to say they're bad sites by any means, but I think people go to them thinking, oh, great, this is what I need. I want to freelance. I want clients. And this whole site has people listing jobs. All I have to do is go pick a job, apply for it, and then I get the work. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works because what it, when um, an employer or put a, you know, company posts a job, uh, you have a bunch of people who also want that job. You know, it's not just you. It can be easy to forget that. There are a lot of other people who want that job. And so what you end up having to do is write a write a proposal, um, a compelling proposal that will get you, get them interested in you, which means you have to take some time to do it and you have to personalize it if you want any chance of them choosing you. And also, because you're competing with a bunch of other people, you're undercutting your rate. You can't, uh, unless, and, and also too, you're not necessarily just competing with people from your area, you are competing with probably people from all around the world who can offer much lower rates or even just people who live in, who people from different circumstances who maybe they don't need as much of an income. So, or they're trying to get clients as, as many clients they can. So they offer things at a lower rate. And so what you end up having to do in order to just compete is to undercut your rate. So like best case scenario, you end up spending hours working at a rate that is lower than what you should be getting. Worst case scenario, you spend time on all of these proposals that don't actually get you anywhere. Um, I, For my students, I, I liken it to that TV show, The Bachelor, you know that one, right? Where when you are, when you're The Bachelor and you have 25 beautiful women, life is good. But when you are one of the 25 beautiful women, it's not a great ratio. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. When you are, when you are a freelancer on Upwork or freelance, you know, you're one of the, you're one of the beautiful women, except it's maybe it's not just 25, maybe it's 50, maybe it's however right. many people, the, the, better way to do it is to flip the ratio so that it's one you and multiple opportunities. And you do that by crafting really great value-based non-salesy, pull out all the sales pitches to companies about your services. Okay. So that sounds like a lot of work, but <laughs> off in the end. Exactly. First of all, yes, the first couple of ones you do, they take a while, but it's also the chances of getting work are so much better. You know what I mean? So you could either put them into these proposals for work where you're not going to get paid the rate you could, or you could put time into writing really great value-based pitches that potential clients actually welcome. And we have students say that, oh yeah, they, they thanked me for sending the pitch um, yeah. and then have a much better chance of getting work and get work at the rate that you should be commanding. Right. I do have a friend who had a fairly successful career working pretty much full-time with uh, Upwork, actually, and she's the one that recommended it to me. But I think that what she did is she she got the holy grail. You know, she found a company that wanted her and continued to basically keep her on um, at a good rate. Mm-hmm. Where I was basically, you know, trying to work for pennies, just trying to get the experience and the the, the positive rating. And, and then, yeah. you know, I was ghostwriting. And so I don't get any credit for what I wrote. I wrote like an ebook for some company. And then like, you're talking about these pitches that you, these proposals that you put in, a lot of them wanted to see a sample of your writing, you mm-hmm. know, and how you would write for them. And so basically I realized after a few times, I'm like, I think I just did free work for them. They just took my proposal and they never got back to me and they're probably just publishing that somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And there's also no policing, but the, the mm. potential clients have all of the power. There's no policing of those potential clients. So I've heard a lot of people say, um, yeah, you know, basically clients being like, well, you have to give me this, you have to add this into it or else I'm going to give you a bad review. And if you have bad reviews, well, good luck getting any kind of work, you know, game over. Exactly. Exactly. So it's so much better to be in control of your, and then too, when you're the one who's sending out the pitches, you are in control of your own workload. You know, if you're like, oh, well, you know what? Things are going to be expensive over the next couple of months. Let me just, let me put in some more effort. Let me dial up. Let me pick up some clients or like, oh, it's the summer. The kids are going to be home. We're going to want to take them to the water parks. Let's actually dial down. I'm going to send out fewer pitches so that I have less okay. work coming in over the next couple of months. Yeah. It just, it puts you in control. So I've had a lot of people and I'm in a lot of groups too, about people mm -hmm. who want to work from home or who are, you know, trying to break into that and just have had people reach out to me over the years, friends and family members who are like, they knew that I worked from home before it was really popular. And I worked for a Mayo Clinic, so I had full benefits and everything. It was pretty, um, it was a good deal. Mm -hmm. But that industry that I was part of was a dying field. It was, um, you know, being taken over by voice recognition technology. Mm -hmm. And so people were saying, how can I be a medical transcriptionist? I'm going to join this, you know, this course to learn how to do it so I can have a job like you. And I just wanted to tell them, I'm like, there is not there's, it's so competitive right now. It's, it's on its way out. You need to find something different. Yeah. What kind of people make good copywriters? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. Um, and the, one of the wonderful things about copywriting is that it's, there's never been a better time to be a copywriter. The, the messaging is integrally important, integrally integral. Hmm. <laughs> this is why I write instead of speak professionally. <laughs> uh, but messaging is, is crucial. Let's put it that way. Crucial to a company being able to sell, being able to do what they do and it, or organization, you know, whether it's, whether it's they're selling minivans or whether it's a company connecting potential adoption, adopting parents with, with children, you know, messaging is in, incredibly, incredibly important. And more than ever, companies and organizations recognize that and are willing to, and are regularly looking for skilled copywriters to do that work for them. Um, are they looking are for certification or degrees, or is it more just like the work that you put out? It's the work that you put out. That's why one of the things that we really teach our students to do is to, to put together a great portfolio because when that's another cool thing about copywriting is it's not, it's, it's merit-based. It doesn't matter what you look like, how old you are, where you live, what your education is. If you can write great copy and you will demonstrate that on your portfolio, then you will get hired. You know, if you, you take the time, you hone your skills and you demonstrate that you can do it well, none of the other stuff matters. And in fact, even a certification, every once in a while, people say, well, do you, do you offer, do you offer certificate for this course? Um, and we very deliberately do not. All a certificate says is I paid money to be in a course. That's all it okay. says. And because uh, for in, in the creative industry, people know that if you go to a creative director and you're like, yes, I am a certified copywriter, a creative director is going to laugh at you because it just demonstrates that you don't understand the industry, you know, that it's, it's the proof isn't the pudding when it comes to copywriting. But for people who don't have that experience, who want to break into it, um, who want, you know, you, they, they listen to this podcast and they thought, mm -hmm. oh, that's something I could do from home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. How do you start? 
<laughs> well, I have this fantastic course. No, but mm -hmm. um, it, but in all seriousness, yes, I, I did put together the course. But the 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 elements are you need to learn how to do it. You know, any anybody who every once in a while I'll come across someone who says, "Oh, copywriting that's really hard to break into," and I'll say, oh, "Okay, Marianne, to tell me more. How did how did you you know what happened?" And I'll say, "Well, how did you how did you learn copywriting?" And they'll say, "Oh, well, I've just always been a really good writer, and so so I just started being a copywriter." And that's, that's not how it works. You know, there are, there are specific skills. There's specific, you have to learn how to do it. It'd be like me saying, well, I know how to drive a car. So I'm just going to be a race car driver, you know, or like, I know how to make a cake. So I'm just going to be a pastry shop. That's just not how it works. Right. Any real career should have training for it. If you want to make six figures a year, you would better expect that there's some training and some practice involved. Um, so yes, first you need to get the training. Um, and then you need to take this training and parlay it into experience. And the first way to do that, what we teach our students when we talk about building our portfolios, the first way to do that, because a lot of people think, well, I need experience to get clients and I need clients to get experience. So it's impossible. And it's not at all true before you get to that point. I mean, you can start working with smaller business clients um, who won't expect that level of experience, but you can put together what are called spec ads different from working on spec, which generally means working for free, which is what you unfortunately got conned into multiple times. Um, but creating spec ads is creating ads as if you had been hired by a company. So you, um, you very clearly label them as spec on your portfolio. You're not trying to be underhanded or anything. You're just trying to demonstrate how you do what you do. So you create, you create an ad or you create an email or a website as if you had been hired for that company. And so what you're able to demonstrate is the skill and the way you would have written for that company if you had been hired by that company. And um, spec ads, a lot of our students use spec ads to fill out their portfolios to begin with. And nobody cares that they're spec. They care that you can write great copy. And then obviously, as you keep going, you start swapping out those spec ads for the paid work you've gotten. Okay. But yeah. Do you ever pitch those spec ads to the companies that you wrote them for? Um, no, because each individual project is going to be different. You know, you can't write an, you can't write an ad, say for a new Cheetos product and pitch it to that company. Cause that product wouldn't exist, or maybe it's something <laughs> they already, but you know, it's, it's, um, no, cause each of them, that's part of what makes copywriting so interesting is that each client is different. Each project is different. It's all and you're, you know, each the their objectives of each project are different. Um, I, I liken it to kind of a word problem in a way. I, I like puzzles and it's kind of like a word problem because you're trying to meet this objective and you may or may not have certain words or certain phrases you want to use. And you're kind of putting them together in a way that's going to meet that objective. It's cool. And I mean, I guess just the question that I know that people are probably asking right now in their heads is just how do they make money? Like, at what point do you start to to make it? Do you have to, like, gradually get out of one thing and into copywriting? Or is it possible to make money right off the bat? I mean, I wouldn't say right off the bat. You know, if you don't know how to write copy, you're going to need to spend a little time learning how to write copy. But you also don't know how – you don't need to know everything there is to know about copy in order to start landing a client. You know, you can go through in our course, we have, you know, action sheets because we want you to practice and share them in the Facebook group and give and get feedback. Um, but the, the, you know, we, we have some students that have posted things like I bought the course 11 days ago and I just landed my first client. Amazing. I don't think that that's necessarily 
more common. I think what people tend to do is they tend to take the course and kind of dig in and really like getting, like getting, uh, what's what I'm looking for? They like kind of get their sea legs, get, get comfortable. And then they start pitching clients, you know, after the first month or two. Um, but once you, once you know, once you have a good understanding, you can start pitching clients. And of course we teach people exactly how to craft these pitches, value-based pitches and how to, how to pitch clients and how to talk to clients and, and invoice clients and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I wish we always get that question, like, well, how long until I earn money? Um, and I wish that there was like a magic equation, but it really depends on each student. It depends on how much time they have to give toward, to, to, to dedicate to learning. Um, it depends on, it depends on how quickly they pick it up. Some people just naturally, it's like any other skill. Some people pick it up right away. Some people take a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, two part of it is it depends on how willing you are to just get out of your comfort zone because, you know, doing something new, I think as adults, we forget this, that doing something new is, is requires us to learn. And we get into something. I think a lot of adults are like, well, I haven't had to learn anything for a while. So I'm just going to dig in. And then we're shocked when when we don't immediately like get it. Um, but the more you're willing to, to have that kind of beginner's mind and be open to learning and be open to taking steps and, and putting up the website. And, you know, there's, we talk about it a lot next week. We added a course within the course about, um, about how to get over those feelings of, of fear of getting out of your comfort zone. You know, it's not about motivation. Motivation is gone in a hot second. It'll get you started, but it's not going to keep you going. So we talk about tactics to like, keep going no matter what, you know, you can, you can, you can, uh, complete a marathon. If you take baby steps, as long as you keep taking those baby steps, it's really up to each student, how fast they go. And there's probably that balance between the people that, you know, are nervous about taking that first step. And those that are a little bit too confident and maybe not as skilled as they think they are. Absolutely. But you know, everybody kind of every it's uh, people kind of even out, you know, it's if you go into it, and you're a little overconfident, then you learn at some point. And if you are a little timid, you we have so many in our Facebook group. Uh, it's an amazing group, like just really fantastic people and very supportive. Um, and it's so funny, the number of people who are like, I just, cause people love to share their wins. And I just, I have to say six months ago, I was petrified. I thought there was no way I could do this. I was shaking and quaking and today I landed my first client and yay, just stick with it. And it's so helpful. I think for the students, for, for everybody to see people say, look, I was scared. I did it anyway. And it worked just stick with it, which like, let's face it is true for almost anything in life. <laughs> All the important right. stuff in life is a little bit scary at first, but if you stick yeah. with it, it's, it's worth it. Okay. So let's talk about what kind of tools does a copywriter need? Um, I know that a lot of people, well, I, I, I interview both entrepreneurs, freelancers, and also people who are employees or small mm-hmm. business owners. And so some people get sent home with equipment and some people have to, you know, source their own and set sure. up their own home office. So what does your home office look like? Well, my home office is a little bit different because I own I, I also teach copywriting as well yep. as, so that means I have, I have uh, large lights to make my skin look okay on calls like this and on Instagram lives and that kind of thing, you know, and I have a microphone and I have, uh, I have, you know, I mean, these came with the phone, so there's nothing special to them, but um what a, what a copywriter needs. And frankly, what a lot, most freelancers need, if you ask me is you need a computer and you need an internet connection. 
you know, for a copywriter, you will also need uh, a website, which, you know, we teach you exactly what to, to put on it and, and how to build it and how to put it together. But, you know, even for people who it's <laughs> having been in this business for a while now, it is so much easier to build a website than it ever has been, you know, you used to actually have to understand code to some degree. And now it's like, you pick a template, you drag and drop. And, you know, so that comes to probably about like 15 bucks a month, but you need a computer. I mean, you need an email address, of course. Um, but, and either word dot word or Google docs and you need a website, but pretty much that's it, you know, which is okay. kind of nice because that means that as a copywriter, you can, if you want to, you can travel and a way to take money. And a way to take money. But, you know, I think most people have, you can just start out with, with a PayPal account there. Yeah. I still have plenty of clients that are paying me via PayPal. And yeah. there are some more sophisticated options as I'm sure, you know, but, um, but you can even just start out with PayPal. Mm -hmm. PayPal Venmo. Um, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I think I have Stripe on my, on my website, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It and um, so half of your business is the teaching element. So most people wouldn't need the lights and the camera. No. And the microphone. No, not at all. No, 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 no. Really, just if you want to be a copywriter, you need a computer and you need the internet and you need to, to be able to have a website. That's really it. But do people generally do a meeting like to do the pitch or to, to do the proposal or to, to secure a client? Or is it usually just all web-based like email? It's, you will have a couple of meetings. I mean, a couple of calls, whether that is via Zoom or whether that's, you know, on the phone, um, you know, because the, the, often the way it will work is you will send out a pitch with an idea um, is really, like I said, very value-based. So it's, 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 it kind of comes down to a lot of, not a lot of enthusiasm, but like genuine enthusiasm, sharing an idea that will benefit their business. And then saying, I'd like to talk, I'd love to talk to you about this. Let me know if you have time. And then following up on those. And also again, a very value-based non-salesy, non-annoying way, um, which is very different from the vast majority of the way other people pitch. Um, and then after that, you know, you'll hop on a call with them because you want to know more about, and they, you, you, part of what you do as a freelancer, as a copywriter, is you want to make your clients' lives easier. So sending, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I'm going to send them a questionnaire. Don't send them a questionnaire because then that gives your client more work to do. Instead, get on a call with them, ask the questions you need to ask. And in the, really, there aren't going to be that many calls. You'll have an initial call, the discovery call, and where the two of you decide whether or not you might want to work together. You'll have an input call where you kind of kick off the project. You ask all the questions you need to ask, which is very valuable for a client too, because a lot of times they have to, it, it makes them think about their whatever trying they're trying whatever the project is in a very strategic way um and it gets you both on the same page too which is crucial uh and then there might be a call at uh toward the after the first draft when you send it in and it's a very collaborative process so i think too with a lot of freelancing it's there's one round and then there's probably another round just to yeah. get it quite right um there might be a call for that or, or there might not be so you don't really end up spending a lot of time on the phone with your clients or face-to-face -face with your clients, but there should be at least, at least a couple of calls just so you can get all of the information you need. Uh, is the pay generally uh, project-based versus hourly? It can be both. Um, for freelance, we recommend, if you possibly can, doing um, project-based work. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, if you're a contractor, obviously they may prefer, which you can contract and work from home. Certainly. Um, mm-hmm. if you're a contractor, they tend to prefer paying by the hour, but, um, but usually it's going to be project based, which is better for the client too. It's better for both of you and it's easier for the client. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And now you have like, you are still doing some copywriting, but you mm-hmm. also have the you're putting a lot of time and effort into all these like Facebook lives and Instagram and your social media and your course, which is for and- the business. I don't do yes. that as a copywriter, just to be clear. People are like, Oh, I'm going to write Facebook lives as a no. copywriter. No, 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 so you've got 50%, 50% or give or take a little bit. Um, it's but definitely how many- much more the business. I, I still keep freelance clients because I really yes. love copywriting, but, um, mm-hmm. but not nearly as much now. I spend a lot of time teaching. So in your situation, about how many hours a week do you find yourself working, give or take, on average? Mm, So this is tricky because most of it is the business. So you're looking, you know, and it's it's a growing business. We have grown the business a lot over the past couple of years over the, and over the course of it, we've worked with like 5,000 students and growing every day. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's a lot of hours. I would say I probably work more like 50, 60. I don't take a lot of time off, um, Mm -hmm. partially because I love what I do and partially because we're growing a team and we're growing new courses and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff as a freelancer. That's a totally different thing as a freelancer. Um, you know, I could have, I had no problem making six figures and working under 40 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. When I was just freelance, it was a different story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself um, dreaming of the day that your course will start to be a little bit more self-sustaining and that you won't have to put the 50, 60 hours a week into it? Well, actually, the course is very self-sustaining. Our team, um, we have a team of uh, four employees. We're actually hiring one now and several contractors. So that one is, we still are in there. I should say it's not just me. So now I have a team of people um, in the Facebook group and doing our coaching calls and it's, it's me and other people. So there's that mm-hmm. element, but we're also under the brand. We also now have our freelance course, which we're building. We have another course as well. So it's, yeah. I mean, my, I bless my team because they're like, okay, now that we have Caitlin on staff, now you have to think about taking a vacation. I'm like, oh, a vacation. Good, good. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I ended up communicating a little bit about uh, a little bit with one of your team members, I think like a virtual assistant who helped mm-hmm. get this uh, meeting on the calendar. Yes. And then uh, they actually re- reached out to me about this interview uh, through interview connections. Someone from interview connections helped. So mm-hmm. I, I assume that I don't think that's part of your team. You must just have like no, a, those are, uh, we have a, uh, yeah, there, we hire them. Um, mm-hmm. We, this past year I've worked with them and they have, they're basically, it's like PR, right? They, they yeah. uh, propose me as a, a guest. Um, so yes, we do have a couple of vendors. I used to do all of our Facebook ads, but now mm-hmm. that's, uh, I hired um, an agency to do that. And just as we've grown, there's less that I can have on my own plate, you know? Yeah, of course. Let me talk a little bit about just you. Um, mm-hmm. What would your typical day look like? Um, on an ideal, perfect work day for you, mm-hmm. the kind where you, you get enough of, you know, your work in and also like your social and like house related, you know, household things. Yeah. <laughs> How do you balance it all? Or do you have help with some of these other things? Um, I really need to hire uh, someone to, to clean my house. And cause it's, it's very dusty, very, very dusty. Um, but uh, you know, the, 
my ideal day, I always talk, we always talk to our students about finding out what time of your day you are most, you have the most energy, the most creative energy. And if at yeah. all possible, do your client work or do your most important work during that time. For me, it's first thing in the morning. So if I possibly can, I get up, I get really early. I get up at like quarter to five, five. Um, and so the ideal day is I'm up working, doing my, whatever it is, my most important tasks for the day from like five to eight and then five to seven, five to eight, and then getting a good workout in, in the morning, hopping in the shower and getting back to my desk, nine 30, sometimes it's closer to 10, if we're going to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. and then still getting in some good hours before lunch because the afternoon time is that's when I have to do the administrative stuff, the, the following mm-hmm. up with emails or, or whatever. Cause that's when my creativity, me, my, my energy is, and my focus is just, and then right about this time, kind of the evening time, my energy comes back up. And if I sneak in some extra projects, extra work, but the ideal is to, for me is to get that work done early in the morning. And then, you know, on a, on a, day when people are around, then, you know, meet friends out for dinner or, or go over to, to a friend's house. Yeah. So you aren't a one size fits all kind of lady. You were like, find what works for you. And for you, mornings are working. How long did it take you to figure that out? Oh, a long time. I spent so long trying to find like the magic elixir to make me like focused at two o'clock, you know, do I need a, do I need a, a, you know, a, energy drink or, you know, do I walk around the block or, or do I take a 20 minute nap or, or whatever? I spent a lot of time before I finally just, uh, I forget if it was a study or a book that said, look, this is how human beings work. You are not supposed to have the same amount of energy and be able to power through in the same way all day long. Cause you know, you mm-hmm. think about like, Ooh, you know, um, can't even think of anybody specific, but, but really successful people, they get up at five and they just work straight on through until eight and they're, they get so much done. And it just, it's, that's not the way that normal human beings work. And once I mm-hmm. figured out that I was fighting an uphill battle to try to get myself to be focused and, and do creative work at two o'clock, I find once I switched that around, it was, it was, did it was amazing for for my productivity for my well-being for everything that I got done it was it was so much better so you basically wake up and what do you drink a cup of coffee and just get to your computer or do you Mm -hmm. like do any kind of routine before you get started because you do your your shower afterward yeah do shower because I'll do the work and then I'll do do a workout and then shower um yeah, no, I'll, I'll head downstairs, get a cup of coffee, kind of ease in, maybe check email for, for five, my personal email for five or 10 minutes, just see if anything interesting came in. Um, and then the night before every night I go through what I did the, for the day, you know, cross anything off the list and then decide what my most important things are for the next day. So that when I get up the next morning, I know what those most important things are. Cause it's even in the morning, sometimes when you're really focused, it can be tempting to be like, Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm going to check work email and I'm just going to do this little administrative task because it's fast and easy. But when you do five or 10 fast and easy tasks, you've eaten up two hours of your prime energy time. So for me, I have to be prepared going into the morning. And then what about household stuff? When do you get that done on the weekend and your lunchtime? 
Uh, in between, I tend to get it done. I tend to get the most done when people are coming over. <laughs> like, oh, they're going to be here at six. Go. Um, but yeah, generally in the weekends, you know, the weekends, I think the weekends are hard for all of us because we want to, we want to relax, but we also want to get in all of the household stuff that we didn't get a chance to get to during the week. So there's that kind of balancing act. You know, the nice thing is, is that I do, because I live by myself in the evenings there, I'm, it's just me. So mm -hmm. if I want to make dinner and then also, you know, clean countertops while the dinner's cooking or whatever, I can do that. It's, I try not to mix household stuff during the day. You know, like if it's, if I can throw in a load of laundry, okay, that's fine. But I try not to like, Ooh, I'm going to get, I'm going to start vacuuming. Cause then all of a sudden my brain isn't work mode anymore. It's and then I start looking for other tasks and what that mm -hmm. ends up being is just distracting. It's me yeah. procrastinating. Yeah. My house was never so clean as when I had a paper due or a project due. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Any other uh, tips or tricks that have just helped uh, working from home be a little easier for you? Do you have any, like, uh, we talked about computery stuff, but do you have any other like gadgets or gizmos gadgets. that you love? Um, no. And that very, very deliberately, I like to keep things simple. And I like to know that if I want to go away for the weekend, I can just grab my computer and go, or even if I want to go away during the week, now that the world is opening up a little bit, I can grab my computer and go and I'm ready to, I'm ready to, to take client calls. I'm ready to do whatever I need to. It's, it's very nice. I think really my, my biggest, my biggest advice for people is to find out when you are the most, and some people are productive in the middle of the afternoon, which blows my mind. But um, if that's you, then great. If you, if at all possible, do your, your creative, your, your highly focused stuff during that, that time and leave your, you know, invoicing or, or whatever to, to the other times of the day. Yeah. I think that there's not like, there's no such thing as some, I mean, a, com a community or a culture that's all morning people. I mean, I think that everybody is going to, you have to know yourself. Like exactly. you say someone might be productive in the afternoon, but they might not have the same sleep habits as you. So maybe afternoon is morning <laughs> to mm -hmm. them. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? Not everyone gets up at quarter to five. What are you talking about? <laughs> I actually do. Um, I wake up even earlier than you do, but that's again, because I'm teaching um, in the early mornings, but that is not my preferred time. Mm -hmm. Though I have learned to appreciate having the quiet morning and here in Arizona, it's so hot in the afternoon. It's kind of nice. Like I finish up my work and then there's a little bit of time between, you know, when my family wakes up and I just finished work and I've got an hour and I can go for a long walk. My husband and the kids are all sleeping. Nobody even knows that I'm gone, <laughs> but I, I do appreciate, you know, those hours, but I, I am waiting for the day for, you know, when I can have a more normal schedule again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How did the pandemic affect your world as far as like your work world uh, and clients? Yeah. Um, and when it all started to happen, there was, there was absolutely a lot of, of panic among our students. And, um, you know, while I luckily have not lived through a pandemic before, um, I did live and work through a recession. Um, 2008 was the first time I hit six figures as a copywriter. And that was after I left my full-time job to be a full-time freelancer. Um, and so, you know, I, I hopped on a lot of Facebook lives with their students and said, okay, let me tell you how this is going to go down when, you know, not specifically knowing a pandemic, but I know 
global crises and, and a lot yeah. of people suffer and that, that is terrible. However, in our industry and for other, uh, a variety of other freelance industries, when, when there's any kind of global upheaval or just upheaval in general, businesses get hyper-focused on selling. Everything else that doesn't directly contribute to their bottom line is become, goes to the back burner. Um, because they need to make a business needs to make sure it makes it through. That is a business's number one goal during a recession or during whatever. And so they get hyper-focused on making sure that they can get through and making sure that they sell. And what a business requires in order to sell is really, really good messaging. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, even just on a, on a small scale, when you think about, um, I personally, there's so many like little local restaurants that I'm like, that you, you find out later that they had, they had, you know, takeout for this, or they had these special things and you go, well, I love this place. I didn't know that I would have gone or I would have, you know, picked up or I would have whatever, because there was no messaging to let you know. Um, And that's obviously a very, very small example, but, but when in unfortunate crises like these, when again, not at all, um, not at all poo-pooing this or, or, or it's, it's terrible that a lot of people lost their jobs. It is horrible. Um, but for copywriting, especially, and for various other freelance positions, um, companies would bring in freelance copywriters because they needed to focus on their messaging and they needed to focus on selling. You know, we had students that started their copywriting careers in 2000, it, last year in 2020 and made more than they ever had. And the mm. cool thing too, is it's not like they are, they are benefiting these businesses and the more they help businesses continue to run, then they also help the people that work for those businesses or they help the people who, who get what they need from those businesses. And the same thing with, you know, organizations and, and nonprofits. Yeah. So 2020, I think was, um, challenging in a lot of ways, but for freelancers and for freelance copywriters, especially it, uh, it was an opportunity Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that again, I really don't mean that in a like capitalize on the pandemic, but it was a lot of businesses needed help. You would be able to be in a good position to help those businesses switch their messaging very quickly, pivot, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, Mm -hmm. is there like a symbiotic relationship between copywriters and graphic artists, graphic designers? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, often um, it's, it's when I first got started, you would work like right directly with your designer. You know, you would literally sit down at a desk and both look at the screen or even now, you know, kind of screen share and look at it. Um, it's moved away from that just a little bit. It tends, there tends to, depending the client, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, good design and good copywriting, uh, they, they, they can't, um, they, they can't exist separately. They will enhance yeah. each other. Yeah which is great. It's, it's one of the best, some of the, the closest friends I have are graphic designers that I have worked with uh, at various points in my career. It's really cool, like relationship between the words and the images. Do you see some people who try to do it all? Yeah. And that's generally a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are uh, a few unicorns out there, um, but the vast majority of people are either verbal or visual. Um, you know, a good, someone who gets to the level of creative director, whether they came from a graphic design or a copywriting background, they, they can tell you what is, you know, say example, for example, a creative director that comes from a graphic design background, they are focused on graphic design, they're visual, they can direct you when it comes to copy, 
but they can't write it themselves. Um, and same thing with a copywriter, a, a creative director that comes from a copywriting background. Um, the vast, vast majority of people excel in one and are just not nearly as strong in the other. And it's the vast majority of time, it's a mistake when people try to try to do both. The better way to do is to focus on where your strength is and then network so that you have, you know, if you're a copywriter, focus on your strength there and then network and meet graphic designers that you can uh, recommend when your client says, oh, I also need that design. You can go, ah, I know so-and-so who's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then two, and then those graphic designers will refer you back. Yeah, right. exactly. So you've, you've got to build that relationship. Do you find that people, that the community is generally a sharing community or a competitive community? Um, do you mean the, the copywriting community as a yeah. whole? Or mm -hmm. I know our community, um, or I should say... I think it's it's hard to talk about any industry as a whole, right? Like our doctors as a whole, this or our, you know, right. it's you can't really talk about any. Um, so I think that, you know, you're gonna find sharing copywriters and you're gonna find, you know, nasty copywriters. It's the same you would with like sharing bakers and nasty bakers or what whatever. Um, I will say that our specific industry, we work very hard, or not our specific industry, our specific community, um, the Comprehensive Copywriting Academy community, we work very hard to keep it. We don't work very hard. We have fantastic students. Every once in a while, we have to like go in and remind people to be a little bit more gentle with the feedback. Um, but it's a very, very supportive and friendly um, group. And that's one of the things that we hear a lot is like, the course was amazing. I just can't believe how great the group is. Um, and so that's important to be, to be able to find a group where people understand what you're going through. When you had a win, they celebrate your win. When you're having a rough day, they, and you know, and you, you post about it, you share it, they, they support you and they say, you know what, but you'll get through this. Everybody has tough days. It's, and I guess that's true for any industry. You know, you find your, you find your group, you find the people who are going to, going to support you and help you get through. So how does one know if they have what it takes? Like, I feel like Generally, I am very wordy. Like mm -hmm. when I write things, I write it too long and I kind of don't care. I know it's long. If you don't like it, deal with it. So I don't feel like maybe my skill set would be really good at being concise and, you know, get the message across in a few words. Um, is there like a test you can take to be like, you'd make a good copywriter versus a content writer versus a proofreader versus a copy editor versus a graphic Again, designer? Again, those, those <laughs> elusive magic tests. Yes. Someone um, designed this. Yes. This yes. No, there isn't, there isn't a, a, a magic test, but you know, the thing is, is that being concise and, and honing that message in that's comes from practice. If you yeah. haven't practiced, first of all, you do have, you haven't learned the skills of copywriting. How could you possibly know? And if you haven't practiced making your work more concise, then, mm -hmm. of course, you know, there, yes, there are some people who are a little bit more concise by nature, but they have other challenges. Um, the, the thing that, that collect that, that is most common above and beyond anything else is just the people who have a natural affinity for writing a natural, a natural ability. They have to also be open to learning a new way of writing, of course. But, you know, if mm -hmm. you're the, the kind of person who, friends are always saying, Hey, can you look at this email before I send it to my boss? Do I sound terrible here? Or, mm -hmm. Hey, can you, can you 
I'll take you out to dinner if you write my cover letter for me, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, it was just so funny because I think writers are like, I thought I was the only one. No, it's all of us. Yeah. All of our friends <laughs> use us for our writing. Um, and I think too, that especially with writers, for some reason, we think that because we can write well, that everybody else just can do it as well and takes it for granted. Mm. And that's not at all true. If you have a natural ability for writing, it is so many people do not share that same gift. Um, it's, it's, it's so much more, it's so much rarer than, than people, especially people who are like, well, I've always had this. It's not, uh, it's not a common trait by any means. Maybe I'm a little bit aware of how not everyone has that gift because I'll be like, would you let me proofread that for you? Would you let me look that yes. over before you? Because I want them to get the job and I know their writing skills. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, and I mean, and as someone who, you know, I, I've always been a word person, but I still want people to look over things and give me feedback. I always appreciate that. Because oh, yeah, like, when you know, you know, like, I know that I'm not perfect. The older I get, the more I know that I know not as much as I thought I did <laughs> when I was 14 or whatever. Yeah. Well, nobody's perfect. Right. And that's, you know, the it's copywriting is like any other kind of writing in that your first draft is not perfect. Writing is writing is just as much about editing as it is doing the initial write. And then also really with copywriting too, is taking some time at the beginning going, okay, what do I, what do I want to say in this? What does the message have to be? What am I trying to convey here? What do we want them to do? It's uh, that's the nice thing is you're never staring at a blank page because you always Mm -hmm. have a direction that you want to be heading, but um, you know, it's, it's always, it should be uh, just as much editing as it is writing because it's, it's really refining what you've put on the page. I think that my best practice has been like when I, I accidentally wrote a 12 paper pa- a 12 page paper, 12 paper page, a 12 page paper that needed to be only five pages max. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, I needed to say everything that's in it. And you really can figure out how to hone things in and, you know, narrow things down and be more concise and find the the five letter word that will replace the five word phrase or something like that. So I guess I have some practice with that, but it is an interesting uh, distinction that I learned about today. Cause I, I don't think I could have talked about the nuances between copywriting and copy content writing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Most for, people can't, most people don't realize <laughs> that there is that difference. And like I said, you know, copywriters can still, um, still offer content writing as part of their suite of services. Um, but they also charge at their copywriting rates instead of the standard content rates, which is, content blog writing is really kind of a churn and burn industry because the, the, the barrier to entry is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I don't want to, to disparage this by any means. Cause there are a lot of great writers out there trying mm-hmm. to make a living at blog posts, but there are also a lot of people who are like, I'll write your blog post for $20. Um, and, and when you're trying filler. to compete with that, exactly. Yeah. When you're trying to compete with that, it's real hard to make a good living as a content writer. Um, not impossible, but real hard. And it tends to be a very churn and burn industry where you're literally writing for eight hours a day. And thank goodness as a copywriter, I'm not spending eight hours writing. I would just, I'd go out of my Mm -hmm. mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Before you started making your course um, content and you were just freelance um, copywriting, about how many hours a week were you working at that point? Oh yeah. I was thinking it was almost always full-time. And then sometimes if I was take, if I was on staff, I, I've always had freelance clients, whether even if I was on staff, I would take freelance clients in the, you know, nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun. And it freelancing keeps you fresh, you know, new projects and you're learning new things. There's so many times I've worked with a client and thought, well, I don't know about this. And then the more you dig into it, the more you're like, Oh, wow. Who knew that this interest industry was so interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. So it really keeps it fresh. And there's a lot of variety, I suppose, too. 
Well, Nikki, why don't you go ahead and let us know? Well, I always have this one question that I ask everyone. If you're, Mm -hmm. if someone is um, interested in working from home for the first time or trying to get into industry that would allow them to work from home, Mm -hmm. uh, I know you've already given lots of great tips today, but what, what would you recommend to someone who's just trying to get started for the first time or decided to make this a permanent switch? Absolutely. Um, Decide what you want to do first. There's a lot of, you know, I hate this piece of advice. It's, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, Jump and the net will appear. Terrible, terrible (laughs) advice. I don't know about you, but there's no way I'm jumping off the side of a cliff, hoping that there's a net. And, you know, outside of the metaphor, I'm not going to be like, well, I'm just going to quit and work from home. And who knows how I'm going to pay my mortgage. You know, if you're going to work from home, it is absolutely possible, obviously, um, absolutely possible, but you need to have a plan for what you're going to do and how you're going to do. You need to learn if you're, if it's a new career, you need to learn how you're going to get training. You need to learn how you're going to get experience and you need to know how you're going to get clients and you need to have access to resources for all of those. And you really need a plan, a system for getting clients. I think a lot of uh, people who go into freelance thing kind of like wish in a prayer or assume that Upwork is going to be there, not assume, but like hope that Upwork is going to be their, their bread and butter. And that's just not how it is. You need a system and a plan for finding those clients. And for someone who's listened to this and they're like, tell me more about that course that you have. Tell us how how can we find it? Yes. Um, So you can find us, our company is Filthy Rich Writer. Um, To us, being filthy rich means having a job you love doing it well and getting paid well for doing it. Um, so you can find us across social media if you're interested in copywriting uh, and you can go to freecopywritingtraining.com. Um, if you have a different skill and you still want to freelance, uh, you can find us at fired up freelance and then go to free freelance training. Um, if you have a different skill, but you, you want to freelance at that. So we'll teach you the, the systems either way. We're here to help. So you've got the the free version. Is there also a paid version of these courses? Oh yeah, absolutely. the the free the free uh, free video training kind of gives you the gives you the information you need to know. It does give you the actionable tips and stuff that you can use to start your careers in in either direction. Um, but yeah, if you want to wait, if you want to uh, if you want to continue working with us, you can you can get information about our courses there. No obligation to purchase, of course. And uh, if you want to unsubscribe, unsubscribe. No hard <laughs> feelings. Uh, but yeah, if you do want to continue working with us, there's more information about both of those courses. So one more time, tell us the websites and also how they can contact you. Are you on LinkedIn or one of these? platforms. Absolutely. The best way to follow us or the best way is just to follow us on Instagram. So for, for, if you want to be a copywriter, it's uh, free. um, If you want to be a copywriter, it's filthy rich writer and that's on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. And uh, you can find our website, or you can also just go to free copywriting training.com. And if you want to freelance in something else, any other industry, but you want to still use those same proven tactics, you can find us at Fired Up Freelance. Again, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, and go to freefreelancetraining.com. And then you'll get access to all that stuff over there. Well, thank you, Nikki. I think that's it. Any final thoughts before we head out? No, thank you for for letting me be a part of this. It was a very fun conversation. All right. Well, this has been April with Nikki and we'll see you next time.